0: turn um, to the Bible, the Word of God, we'll read um, some scriptures together, quite a number of scriptures, and I want you to bear in mind, because I'll read the uh, last passage um, at the end, rather the passage that uh, is the basis of it all, at the very end, just... uh, Um, before we speak. So I want you to bear in mind the word immutability. Immutability. If you bear that in mind, then you'll understand all these different scriptures. First of all, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 17, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast by turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then, um, Hebrews 13, verse 8. You may want to make a note of these scriptures. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then, in the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. Malachi 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, change not. Therefore ye, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I, the Lord, change not. Now, Numbers, chapter 23. Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and will he not do it? or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Then Titus, Titus chapter 1, and verse 2, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, Which God, who cannot lie, promised before time's eternal. Which God, who cannot lie, promised before time's eternal. Now, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. Verse 8, verses 8 to 11. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will also do it. And then chapter 14 of Isaiah. Isaiah 14, verse 24, and 26 and 27. Verse 24, The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Verse 26. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall annul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? And still in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Then Psalm 33, Psalm 33 and verse 11, a gem, one little verse, an absolute gem. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth fast forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Now, that's a wonderful word. Um, to all generations. Because we're always being told that what God promised at such and such a times was for another generation. You see, it's uh, past history. But it's the counsel of the Lord standeth fast forever. The thoughts of his heart. To all generations. Then Proverbs nineteen. Proverbs nineteen. Verse twenty one. Here's another gem. <clears throat> Proverbs nineteen twenty one. There are many devices in a man's heart. And the truly are. There are many devices in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 20. For how many soever be the promises of God, in him is the yea. Well, for also through him is the amen unto the glory of God through us. Now he that establisheth us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the earnest of the Spirit In our hearts. Now we'll sing. Well, now we will read that final passage in Hebrews and chapter (coughs) 6. Hebrews and chapter 6. On verse 11. Hebrews chapter 6. And we desire that each one of you may show the same diligence unto full assurance of hope even to the end, that ye be not sluggish, but imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, since he could swear by none greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And thus, having patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men swear by the greater, and in every dispute of theirs, the oath is final for confirmation wherein God, being minded to show more abundantly unto the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel interposed or mediated or intervened with an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie or to prove false, we may have a strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and entering into that which is within the veil. Whither, as a forerunner, Jesus entered for us, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Sluggish. How easy it is to be sluggish as a child of God. It's not only sometimes that we lack devotion. Uh, That's not the only reason for sluggishness. We can be very devoted to the Lord and still sluggish. It's very much a question as we see from here, of whether we are clear as to the anchor ground of our faith and hope. It says here, be imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, God intends that every child of God should be an inheritor of the promises. There are over eight promises in the Word of God. Did you know that? I was brought up with that. Auntie Ella was always telling me there are 8,000 promises in the Word of God. At least 8,000 promises. And she always said and every one of them is yes in Christ and the amen to every one of them is through Jesus Christ. Now we are meant to to be the inheritors of these promises. Now, that doesn't just mean, of course, that we can take any promise and simply um, uh, uh, batter it into our circumstances. Um, There are promises which are quite clear, are for every single one of us. There are promises which are, uh, which have to be particularly applied to our circumstances by the Holy Spirit. But, we can say, and say it quite definitely and clearly, that there are. we ought to be, as children of God, inheritors of the promises, whatever they are. We ought to be inheritors of the promise. And the inheriting of these promises is not all in the future. We are meant to see the promises of God fulfilled. We are meant to have an experience of the Lord, even if, like Abraham, we never actually see the land in our possession, yet still we finally will come in to the inheritance. We need all of us to be then inheritors of the promise, and the way we become inheritors is through faith and patience, but faith is not a commodity. Faith is something which is created in our hearts when we see certain facts. In other words, you can't conjure up faith. That's what many of us try to do. We sit there and say, I must have more faith. I simply have got to get greater faith. But of course it doesn't come that way. The more you try, try to increase your faith, the more you look at your faith, the more you try to... Conjure up faith, the less faith you've got. You find it drains away almost miraculously before your eyes, so that you become weaker and weaker and weaker. Faith is dependent upon certain facts, and when you see those facts, invisible facts for the most part, when you see through to those invisible facts, then Faith is immediately kindled in our heart. It's a quite spontaneous thing. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. None of us can see Jesus with the naked eye. But we're told to look unto Jesus, that is we are to endure seeing him who is invisible. And as we see with the eyes of the heart the Lord Jesus Christ and the facts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, so faith is the spontaneous outcome in our hearts. Faith and patience. Some people get the faith, but haven't got the patience, and all they do come unstuck. They're trusting for something, but they just can't endure. It's all got to happen immediately. If the walls of Jericho don't come down on the first round around the walls, on the first day, something is dreadfully wrong with themselves or with the believers or with their experience or even with God. Faith and patience. Some things are immediate. Some things have to be waited for. But you can always be absolutely certain that faith and patience inherits the promises. That is, you may have to wait, as Abraham had to wait, had to wait for um, Isaac. But Isaac comes. That's the point, and he comes on time. Uh, finally, you get your Isaac. And if you'll only have faith and patience, you won't get an Ishmael either. Ishmael is always the result. of of faith of a certain kind without patience. So the idea still was that God could do it, but we must help him uh, in his work. And that resulted in Ishmael. There are so many Ishmaels in Christian work. Oh, Christian work is littered with Ishmaels, and Christian lives are littered with Ishmaels too. Things that have been born uh, of uh, natural resources and natural strength and natural ingenuity some kind of christian facade we are meant to be not sluggish but those who through faith and patience inherit the promise you may be the most insignificant believer in the world indeed you may be the stupidest believer in World, but God has promised to you certain things, and God is not liar. You may be the silliest, most insignificant, most unworthy, most failing believer in the universe, but because God has promised certain things to you, and because it is impossible for God to lie, the whole of heaven is behind the fulfillment of those promises. To not give you what God has promised would make out God as a liar. He would prove false and would give ground for Satan to make a charge that was genuine and legal against God. So take courage. If you know you are rather dim and rather foolish and certainly insignificant and you're not one of those people who is always saying it but who actually believes that they're quite the opposite. They're really, really rather something and so on. If you really believe it, take encouragement. Silly Christians who have faith and patience inherit much more than wise Christians without faith and patience. You can have a wise Christian who can found a theological seminary and get nowhere can teach thousands of students and be barren as a desert. You can have one person like Gladys Aylward who was so simple that when God told her to go to China and she saved up two and six or sixpence a week, I can't remember, and went and paid it over the counter to that poor clerk each week for her ticket to China and finally got on the Trans-Siberian railway with a kettle and some knitting (laughs) and a bag of tea and some sandwiches. She had absolutely no idea how far China was away and when the train stopped on the border of Mongolia and Manchuria and everyone got out, she sat And when the guard came to her and tried to explain in Russian that there was a war on between the Japanese and the Russians and that the firing line was only a mile or so away, she refused to be banned. She said God had called her to China and China to China she would go. So the man made it quite clear that the train was not going to move either forward or backwards. It was going to stay there because it was in danger of being blown up. And with that, Gladys Elwood got out and said to him, which way is China? (laughs) And he pointed, as you all know the story, perhaps you've heard her tell it, he pointed down the track, and there that dear, simple soul walked down the track with her kettle, her knitting, her tea, and what I suppose remained of her sandwiches. (laughs) She got to China. And she lit a torch in her through faith. Through faith and patience, she inherited the promises of God in a way that someone who was clever and wise and knew many things and understood that there might be two or three Isaiahs instead of one or many other things like that. Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers are J, P, and E. That is their sources, and that kind of thing. They didn't have not inherited anything. No, God doesn't want us to be sluggish, but he wants us to be those who through faith and patience inherit the process. This does not mean, of course, that we are meant to be stupid or silly or dim. But better to be dim and have faith and patience than to be wise and shrewd and have no faith and patience. Because it is through faith and steadfastness, determined endurance, that we inherit the promises of God. Now this faith and this patience must have a basis. And what is the basis? The basis is the immutability of God. Now I make no apology for it. It was our dear brother Willie Burton that set me thinking about this. You know that he stood on that platform in the last message he ever preached in Britain before he went to the Lord and said, There are only... I try to reduce everything I have to say to two or three-syllable words at the most, but there are only two words of six syllables which I cannot do without, and that set us all guessing. And he said, I'm going to preach on one of them this evening. Reconciliation. Well, you remember that. I'm quite sure you haven't forgotten that message. A number of us went to see him off at the airport the next night. And you know, as we sat there in the airport waiting uh, for him to be called uh, to go to his plane. He suddenly turned round to me and in that rather frightening way he said, Brother! Brother! I spoke yesterday evening and said there were two six-syllable words. And I couldn't do without. And I preached on one of them. Reconciliation. Brother, as it is quite extraordinary. No one has asked me what the other word was. So of course then he said, What do you think it is? Well, I racked my brain and then we all, you remember all of you were there, we all brought forward words that I'm afraid weren't six-syllable words. Salvation and this and that and the other and the other, he wouldn't have any of it. And finally he said, immutability. Well, I thought at the time, what a strange word. Reconciliation, of course we understand that's fundamental, but to say there's only one other word in the whole language, a six-syllable word that I can't do without and can't put in any other way. Immutability. I thought so much about that. And then I saw that that was the key to that man's ministry. Once when talking in the garden here, we were talking about healing. He had a real ministry of healing, gift of healing. And I, I said to him, you know, it's an amazing thing, sometimes you were so sick that you were carried into a plane on a stretcher. There was one story where he was carried onto a plane a, on a stretcher, and suddenly, you know, in these sort of, in the Congo, things not quite like here, and uh, suddenly there was a c- c- cry, and some uh, F- Congolese folk rushed up and said, oh, of one, please, stop, stop. Uh, this man here has got a terrible ulcer, and he wants you to pray for him. Brother, uh, Burton was so ill, he was a stretcher case. He put on that bridge. He said, put me down. I'll pray. The man had a cancerous ulcer on his leg. Great big open ulcer. He prayed for it, and in, in front of those people, the ulcer vanished. But Willie Burton wasn't healed. Up uh, they took the stretcher, and into the place. <laughs> <laughs> That's real healing. Because with it is left with us something that's inexplicable. So that faith is always operative. Well, I just mentioned this because I realized when we were talking, I said to him, how many cases do you can you do you think really you've seen of healing through your own prayer? Oh, he said over a thousand. Well, you know yourselves that he himself was healed from cancer when they gave him six months to live. Cancer of the colon, which is something, quite honestly, that required a month. Well, that set me thinking, so that's the secret of that man's ministry. Immutability, that's what it was. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that he had a rock under his feet. He knew that God could not change. And that the counsel of God could not change. That the purpose of God could not change. It was immutable. Therefore, what God did yesterday, he can do today. He hasn't changed. The 20th century isn't too much for God, too complex for God, too unbelieving for God. Its problems are not too, so deeply entrenched that God has had to withdraw from them. As if a trip to the moon can frustrate God or inhibit God so that somehow he is not able to do those works. Where there is faith, And patience there must be an inheriting of the promises. That's the key. If we lose our faith or we fail to have patience to endure then indeed the mighty works and acts of God must cease. But God is not without his witnesses. Well, I think of all kinds of things. To me, it becomes quite thrilling because I think of the God who brought a whole universe into being out of nothing, is the God who this very evening, now, at this time, almost half past eight, is precisely the same. He hasn't exhausted himself in doing that. He hasn't, as it were, had to turn around to replenish his resources. Not at all. If he wanted to, with a flick of his hand, with a word from his mouth, he could set into motion new universes. He could create out of nothing something new, if he wanted to. He's not different. Just because God did something thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and we all see it around us, in the atmosphere, and the earth, and the the sky. He's not changed, you know. (laughs) He hasn't become feeble, and old, and weak. He is I Am. That is, his name is I Am That I Am. Not I was, that I was, or I have been, that I have been. But I am. As far as God is concerned, you see, we creatures of time live in the dimension of time, past, present, future. But God is eternal. God lives always in the present. For God, it's just as if it's now that he created things. That's why he speaks of us being glorified as if it's already happened. Because for God, there is no, if you get what I mean, there is no past and no future. He is I am. Therefore, he is perfectly able tonight to do exactly what he did. When he created them. You know, when the children of Israel that great throng, a huge multitude went over the Red Sea, God clave a way through the sea for them. It was a miracle. And when the host of Pharaoh, trying to follow them in order to destroy them, went the same way, the waters came back by the same word of God and destroyed the enemies of the people of God. God is not different tonight. If he wanted to, he'll do this. Now I'll tell you something. We're all going to see that one day. Do you know that one of the greatest miracles you're all going to be part of, that is if you're born of God, if you're born of God, one of the greatest miracles we're all going to have part in is the resurrection of the dead. It'll be bigger than any Red Sea crossing, my word. You see those great slabs as Spurgeon used to say over some of those saints. They're going to just shift. <laughs> And bodies that have molded away in just dust and there's nothing, they're not even born. That's just absolutely come as it were back together. God's going to reform almost out of nothing. Bodies, resurrection bodies. It's called in the scripture the redemption of our body. Oh, what a day that's going to be. That's going to be a miracle of all miracles. But it's not that God's going to sort of almost to put it irreverently, going to sort of get steam up to do it. God is able with one word to do it tonight. And the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive will women be caught up together. What a day! What a day! And on the way up we shall see them all. Luther, my word! Next to me, Luther. Not because I'm anything, but because I'm just going up, as it were. Paul, the Apostle Paul, John, they're all there. All the great names and all the other names that we don't know, but God knows and are loved by God and cherished by God, written on the palms of his hands. And all, what a miracle. You see, God's quite able. What God did with the, with, with the exodus, with the crossing over the Red Sea, God is able to do if he wanted to tonight, if, if, he, if, he, if it was according to his will and necessary to the outworking of his purpose, he'll do it. And, 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 and don't think that I'm talking out of the back of my head because I'm not tonight. <laughs> Because it says in Romans chapter 11 that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And this is specifically said in connection with the Jewish people. And if God has not ordered things in such an extraordinary way that this queer and scattered, dispersed and despised people have been brought back to that some little plot of ground in the world that once was promised to their father, Abraham, well, what a miracle, and you've all lived to see it. That's what God can do. It's as big a thing as the Exodus. People don't think of it like that. Oh, no, they don't think that it's any like that, but it is. One of the most extraordinary things in, in, in this generation. Oh, no, God's, God's not changed. God's not exhausted. God is exactly them if he wants to do something. Done. God is the immutability of His counsel. Oh, I think it's so very thrilling when we when we look at look at it like that. When they went over and possessed the land, God went before them and drove out their enemies. If the Lord wanted to do that again, He'd do it. He's not changed. Tanks and bombs, A bombs, H bombs, and all the rest of them make no difference to God. That's why, for our encouragement, we have things like um, um, uh, the vision of Gog and Magog. And then we suddenly realise that when they start lobbing around these things, God's behind it. Oh no, God is the same. The immutability of his counsel. Well, what about this? Let's have a look at it for a moment. What is this counsel of God? If it's immutable, if it doesn't change, if there's no variation, if there's no diversion on God's part, if there's no shadow cast by turning, that is, he turns this way in a shadow. No, it is, there's no variation, no shadow cast by turning. He's got a, a, a plan, a, a design, an objective, and he will not be deviated, he will not be diverted, he will not for one single moment be frustrated. It's there, quite clear. No shadow cast by turning, no variation, the immutability of his counsel. What then is his counsel? Well, quickly, let's take the Bible. And let's look. I've listed down five things that I think sum up his counsel as far as our little finite minds can perceive his counsel. And the first is this, to sum up all things in Christ. Oh, there's a good phrase for you and a a scriptural one. To sum up all things in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 9 and 10. Making known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, unto a dispensation of the fullness of the times, to sum up all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. In him I say, oh, how wonderful. Christ's name is sometimes used as a swear word. Today it is held in derision. What he stands for is considered to be something square, something old-fashioned, something almost unhealthy. But the counsel of God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, come wind, come weather, is that he's going to sum up all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth everything is going to be summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. The glory of God is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. To sum up all things in Christ, what does it mean? Have you ever added up? Ever added up? Now I'm no good at arithmetic, so I daren't give you an illustration. But if you add up a certain number of numbers, that is all that's there—the sum. And God is God's counsel is this: that in the end, everything's going to sum up to Christ. So that when he does divine arithmetic, everything, Christ, it all sums up who Christ. Adds up to Christ. Christ in all and in everyone. Put it like that if you like. The Prince of Peace ruling. The glory of God manifested. The, the Apostle Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, in this way, in verse 10, he said, You've been called to his et- eternal glory in Christ. To sum up all things in Christ. It doesn't matter if the, old, if the Antichrist comes. It doesn't matter if the devil becomes almost incarnate. It doesn't matter if that great system 666 spreads its tentacles over the whole earth. It doesn't matter if the saints of the Most High are given over to Antichrist so that he can do what he wants with them. It doesn't in the end really matter because the counsel of God is this, to sum up all things in Christ. So that when the devil's done his worst, when unbelieving and ungodly men have done their worst, God will win. There's no question about it. He's going to sum up all things. Now, this is immutable. Don't think that any new ideology, any new power, any new system will be too much for God. Don't think that the cleverness of men will prove too much for God. This is immutable. God has said that he will sum up all things in Christ, or head up all things in Christ. And that is his plan, his counsel. Now, that gives us a strong basis for faith. You see, too often we're too subjective in our faith. It's all to do with ourselves. If we would only get a broader view and say, well, supposing I go out like a light, thank God, he's still going to win. Supposing every believer becomes apostate, he's still going to win. Because his counsel is immutable. The immutability of his counsel. Then I I thought, well, yes, it's his inheritance in the saints. You read that in Ephesians 1. And verse uh, uh, 11, In whom also we were made a heritage, having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we should be unto the praise of his glory. His inheritance, in the sense, not our inheritance. We all think of our inheritance, which is heaven, which is glory, which is a reward. That's our inheritance. But what about his inheritance? Now, the Father has a plan. And God's counsel is this, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have an inheritance. This explains history. Did you know that? It explains why God took hold of Abraham. It explains the chosen nation. It explains God's great concept in that people to take the light of his salvation to the ends of the earth. They failed. It's explained again and again in what God has done in us. Why he saved us. We are God's gift to his Son. All a father hath given me shall come to me. And whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. We are gifts to his Father. Have you ever thought of that? Do you think God would give a bad gift to his Son? We're the gifts of the Father to the Son. You are. You may not think much of yourself, but God has given you to his Son. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to give up. If only you would have faith and patience. God wants to make you a kind of bouquet for his Son. A a, a treasure, a priceless treasure for his Son. You're his Son's inheritance. That's the counsel of God. So, forget the subjective side for a moment and, and start to play along a new line. Say, oh, Father, you've given me to your Son. Do the work in me. Don't let me go even if I squeal at times. Get on with that work. You've given me to your Son. What encouragement. Well, that's to sum up all things in Christ and uh, for him to get his his inheritance, his heritage. And then um, uh, the second thing about the Council of God is to build the Church of God in Christ, through Christ, on Christ, in Christ, against which hell will not prevail. Well, you know the scripture I am going to quote, Matthew 16, verse 18, Thou art, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is the immutable counsel of God, people tell me, that, uh, that God has given up his conception of the church, that uh, due to the sort of uh, uh, apostasy of, of so-called Christendom, and because um, uh, believers have, have, have been so superficial and worldly, God's given up his whole conce- concept. Rubbish! God must be a liar then. But it's impossible for God to lie. God has said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So where the gates of hell have prevailed, it's not his church. Quite simple, isn't it? Once a thing has become, however, mammoth, something which is compromised and more Babylon than New Jerusalem, God says, all right, you can have it. But the real church, the values of the real church, they go into the city and are never lost. Every bit that's been worked corporately, anywhere, at any time, in any generation, it's gone into the city. And you'll find it at the end all there. Not, 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 not a single bit of it's been lost. You'll find it in the city in the end. If you and I, by the grace of God, are there, we'll go round and I'll show you. And pe- pe- perhaps rather, I'll say, you'll show me. And you'll say, look at that. Look, there were the Waldensians. Oh, it's here. And here are the Albigensers. Look, it's here. Here are the Bogomils. Have you ever heard of these peoples? Look, it's here. Here are the Paulicians, it's here. All these strange groups that finally went in the end off the rails, and so many other things. Every little bit of it that was of God, you'll find in the city. It's not lost. You take all that God has done in China. Now communism has come and swept so much away, but what God really did, the true church in China, all in the city out of reach of Satan out of Satan's reach to build the church oh the immutability of his counsel now get yourself encouraged on that one sometimes our hearts go down we think oh they don't understand they don't really see really this and then you feel oh dark heavy cloud comes down on you But oh, no, no. God's counsel is immutable. It can't change. So let's encourage ourselves with this. And then the third thing is to save us to the uttermost, conforming us to the image of his Son. Now that's harder for many to believe. Save to the uttermost, conforming us to the image of his Son. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost those that draw near unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Isn't that a wonderful word? Listen to Romans chapter uh, 8 and verse uh, 29. This is what it says. It says, and we know, uh, sorry, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now here is the immutable counsel of God, not only to save you to the uttermost, not just save you by the skin of your teeth, but to the uttermost. I remember a story about Campbell Morgan. Dr. Campbell Morgan once preached a great message on going home. And in this message, he said, it distressed him greatly when he saw these pictures uh, that used to be fashionable in Victorian days of a battered ship limping into harbour. And it used to have the verse we've sung about dropping anchor in the heavenly harbour. At last, there it was, the mast shot away, holes in all the sails, listing badly on one side. Just got in. And Campbell Morgan said, Is that really what God wants of us? No, this, let's never devalue God's standard. God says in his word, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In other words, we want to sail in, yes, with battle scars, but we want to sail in with all, well, you know, full glory. And so we ought to, because God has said we're to be saved to the uttermost. Have you got an uttermost salvation? Or have you only got a skin of your teeth salvation? The kind of thing is you're just in, and you're not always sure that you are. The skin of your teeth salvation. How tragic when we have an uttermost salvation. I haven't got a saviour who just got me in by the skin of my teeth. I'm thankful to say I have a Saviour who can save to the uttermost. That doesn't mean to say that I'm not difficult as far as he's concerned, but he can save to the uttermost. <coughs> have you got a salvation like that? Or is your salvation something that happened years ago or months ago and somehow or other it's, a, it's a, well, you're forgiven and, and, and that's as much as you know. What kind of salvation is it? We ought not to neglect our so great salvation. It's tremendous. Oh, I think of Jude 24. Now, just listen to this. You know it, many of you know it by heart, but all that it would just come home. In a living way, listen to what the Lord says here. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish in exceeding joy. That's full sail, coming into the harbor. That's His immutable counsel for you, to get you before His Father's face without blemish. Now, that's God's immutable counsel for you. These are promises. By faith and patience, we can inherit them. But if you say, no, 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 He's got a difficult one in me. It'll never happen. Well, I'm sorry to say, that you will limp in. And so much that God would have done in your life will have not been done, so that instead of gold and silver and precious stone, it's wood, hay and stubble. Faith and patience. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Do you believe that God Believe it against yourself for once. Say, I refuse to believe even my own mind or my own opinion in this matter. God says, being, Paul says, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident. Oh, dear, dear Paul. If those believers sometimes lost faith, he didn't. If they said, we're not good enough, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. We'll never do it. The Apostle Paul sat down half blind with a chain to a soldier and there he's dictating a letter and he says, you know, I'm absolutely confident in you lot at Philippi that the Lord who's begun a work in you is going to perform it and perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What faith! If only we had faith about one another like that. Instead of that sort of um, dreary old attitude so often, ah, we had faith to believe in the immutability of God's counsel concerning his own, to save them to the uttermost and to conform them to the image of his Son. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, listen to this, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. And it's all to do with this being sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. There's the counsel of God, the immutable counsel of God. It's, he hasn't changed. He hasn't said, oh dear, so-and-so is a very difficult person. Too, too much, too much even for me. No, God hasn't changed. Not at all. Then I say, fourthly, to make available the counsel of God is to make available to us all that which we need to see his counsel fulfilled. Let me say it again. To make available to us all that we need to see his counsel fulfilled. Now, don't get away on this one. It's easy to say, yes, I believe he has a, he, he can save to the uttermost. And I believe that somehow or other, I don't know how, but he will get us conformed to his, the image of his son. Just wait. God is intensely practical. The immutability of his counsel goes much further than just that. It is this. He's made available to us all that we need for his purpose to be fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Well, we had that the other Sunday morning. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, having always all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. So you can't get out of it. Available provision. God is able to make abound toward you. Grace. Philippians 4:19, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's not just financial needs. My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Has he got enough? It's as if we were saying, I'll supposing I made a promise to you, I'd say to you, I will meet. Every need of yours according to my riches in the bank. You're in for a poor time. Even one of you is in, you're in for a poor and hard time. But when God says, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's no end, no limit. No, no boundary. Available. Ephesians 1.3. Do you need a blessing? I can't understand it. I remember Malcolm Widdicombe always speaks of being all blessed up. (laughs) But I am amazed at some Christians who seem to go through the Christian life without a blessing. I'm amazed. I never have heard them talk about having received a blessing from the Lord. And it says in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 that every blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. God hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Now, isn't it odd if someone says they've got all those blessings and it's manifest. They're not enjoying them. Something's wrong. The provision is available, but the faith and patience isn't there to inherit it. It's all there because it's the immutable counsel of God. He doesn't change. He hasn't withdrawn and said, well now, 20th century, 1971, rather difficult. Uh, We'll cut back a little on uh, uh, Philippians 4.19, and (laughs) Ephesians 1, verse 3. Instead of having uh, any number of blessings, we'll cut them down to a certain number of blessings. But God does not change. It's the immutability of his counsel. They're all yours. I think of 1 Corinthians, uh, Romans 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Or I think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse uh, 12, that we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God. The only way you can know the things freely given to you of God is by the Spirit. So if you're a stranger to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you must be a stranger to the free gifts of God. And if we had not had an experience at the beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit leading us to salvation in Christ, how much more do we need that continued ministry to lead us into all that is ours in Christ. Oh, we do need the Holy Spirit. I think of Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, in this matter of availability. Ephesians 3, verse 14, I'll read from verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory that you may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inward man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith to the end that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now, now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So all this is not just some lovely ideal but something which is capable of practical experience. According to the power that worketh in us. Supposing there is no power that worketh in us. Supposing the power that's in us is locked up, supposing it's ignored, supposing it's absolutely bypassed, then all this in Ephesians four uh, three from fourteen to twenty must be forever a lovely idea. we sing about it, we talk about it, we can even pray about it, but it's not real. We're not being filled unto all the fullness of God, we're not being lost in God. We, we don't know what it is. To be rooted and grounded in love. And strong to apprehend with all the saints. And so on. Fifthly, the counsel of God is to give us the victory in Christ. That's immutable. Don't think that God has a kind of session where he says, shall I give them the victory or shall I not? God's victory is won. And is available. Now, if you immediately start to look at some scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, No, in all these things, nakedness, hunger, peril, famine, and so on, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 and verse 14. Um, But thanks be unto God who always leadeth us in triumph in Christ and maketh manifest to us the savour of his knowledge. John 16 verse 33. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5, and um, verse 4 and 5. For whatsoever is begotten of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There you are, in a nutshell. It is the immutable counsel of God to give us the victory. No wonder, then, when you turn back to Daniel, you read these wonderful words in Daniel 7 and verse 18. 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve him. Here is the end of the matter. (coughs) Oh, yes, it is the immutable counsel of God to give us the victory. God doesn't believe that you should live in defeat or that we as a company should live in defeat or that the church in general should live in defeat it is the immutable counsel of God that even when things are at their darkest and when Antichrist may seem to have supreme power the church should triumph most gloriously never forget that when they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ and when darkness spread over the whole face uh, of, of Jerusalem And when it just seemed that everything was at an end, that was the greatest triumph of all. God's immutable counsel, victory. Well, now then, we've... Time's gone. What can we say? We can say this. His counsel is unchangeable not subject to variation or diversion. Therefore, nothing in heaven or on earth or in hell can or will change the counsel of God. Nor can anything in heaven, on earth or in hell alter the counsel of God in any shape or form. Of frustrated. Isn't that marvelous? It's immutable. And then let me say something else that you'll hardly believe. Nothing in you or about you, in your background in your circumstances or in your situation can or will change the counsel of God? Nothing. You may have the most difficult temperament in the world, but the counsel of God stands as far as you're concerned. Not just to sum up all things in Christ, praise His name, nor just to build the church against which the gates of hell shall not prevail, but to save you, poor you with all your background, with your temperament, with your difficulty, with your complexes, to save you to the uttermost and conform you to the image of God's Son. God has committed himself. God does not lie. He said he will do it. That's his counsel for you. It's immutable. So you may have all kinds of things about your background, your temperament, your circumstances, your situation. Unique, singular, never heard of before, never even conceived of at any time in human history. But it will not alter the counsel of God one whit, nor one jot. God has committed himself as far as you're concerned. You might be a kind of human Dracula. Dracula. But he'll do it, if you've got faith and patience. Believe me, believe me. I say it deliberately, you may be a human Dracula, but if if you will only have faith and patience, God will turn you into a saint. (laughs) And willing to show to the heirs of promise, more abundantly, the immutability of his counsel. He intervened with an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. Now, what are these two immutable things? First, the promise. Secondly, the oath. So God's counsel is not only absolutely immutable, but He says, I promise. I promise. Could you have anything else? Supposing I was to say to you, I promise in the name of God that this will happen to you, that that will happen to you. You could go out of the door and say, Well, of course. He's just excitable. He got carried away. Maybe he finds it easy to believe I don't. Supposing we had dear, dear, dear Apostle Paul who said to you, I promise you in the name of God that this will be so. You could still say it's all right for the Apostle Paul. He had that wonderful experience on the Damascus Road. It wasn't like that for me. I didn't have any flash of light. I went forward and signed a decision card. (laughs) Different for me. I don't feel the same. And he was caught up to the third heaven and heard things lo- which is not even lawful for a man to utter. It's all right for him. No good for me. But oh, it's not the Apostle Paul. And it's not some human servant of the Lord. It is God himself who's promised. That's the first immutable thing. God can't lie. So if God promises something, he'll keep it. The second thing is this. Look at the grace of it. God intervenes with an oath. Now, you swear by something, and you always swear by something outside of yourself. You see, in other words, in, in British court, they give you a Bible, I don't agree with it myself, but they give you a Bible, and you swear on the Bible. Because the idea is, this book is bigger than you, the truth it contains is much bigger than you, so you swear on it. In the Jewish circles, in the old days, they swore by the temple, they swore by the altar, they swore by the God of heaven, you see. They swore by things bigger than themselves god says i have sworn to you in this man not only promised i've sworn i've intervened with an oath and because i can't swear by anything greater i swear by myself so he says in a way that you can't put in english but it goes right back to the old Hebrew, multiplying, I will multiply you, blessing, I will bless you. In other words, what God is saying is this, I swear by myself that in promising you that I will bless you, I will bless you. God has committed himself, not just to elite people, but to every single saved sinner in Christ, every single one. Therefore, we can have strong encouragement. We who fled for refuge into Christ, who is, as it were, the anchor ground of this great hope, we can have strong encouragement to do what? Now, this is where most people make their mistakes. To do what? To hold on. Nothing of the kind. Hold on. That's not the point of the writer of Hebrews. He didn't say that we may have strong encounters who have fled for refuge. To hold on. He didn't say that at all. He said to lay hold of the hope. Enter in. Not hold on. You're being held on to. The anchor's within the veil. The chain comes out through the veil and holds on to you. Now, you have strong encouragement to lay hold of the hope. That hope. Well, the immutability of his counsel, God has set before us something which isn't a vague, uncertain hope, that perhaps something will or might happen, but God has given us a marvellous revelation of his counsel toward us. That's our hope. Lay hold on it. Just lay hold. How do you lay hold on something? Why, even a baby can get a purchase on something when it wants it. That hand comes out and lays hold. Oh, that we would be just like that, young or old. Lay hold on the hope. Don't just sit there saying, well, God's got to do something. God's got to do something. Lay hold on the hope that's yours. And don't be sluggish, phlegmatic, drifting. But be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we do thank thee for thy grace. It is always a marvel to us, Lord, when we realize just what thou hast committed thyself to. And when we realize, our Father, that thou couldst have so easily started all over again, finished with us, turned thy back upon us, we're all the more amazed. Father, we just pray that somehow the unchangeability of Thy counsel, the immutability of Thy counsel may dawn upon us and grant, Lord, that we might be those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Thou hast told us, howsoever many be the promises, thy promises, in Christ is the yes and through him is the amen. O Father, may every one of us be those who lay hold of this hope set before us and become, through the exceeding precious and great promises of God, partakers of the divine nature. Father, hear us. We need, We thank thee that there's a rock under our feet. Give us eyes to see it all, hearts to know it. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.